But if you got your Bibles, go with me to uh, the book of Revelation. We've been in the book of Revelation, and we are going to look again today. We're actually speeding right through it. We said we were taking a 30,000-foot view rather than the, most of the people that go down to the intricate details, and we get into a lot of fusses and fights over who is right and who's wrong, and it's good to look at the intricate details. I'd like to go back and do that, but we're kind of backing out because we started this, and we started talking about how if you take a impressionist painting. Y'all know I'm so cultured, and I know a lot about painting, but uh, I know a lot about, uh, what were those that you used to do? Uh, watercolor. Yeah, that's the kind of painting I know. But I've heard it said that impressionist painting, people like Monet and people like that, that if you look at impressionist paintings up close, they're kind of blurred, and we showed one. It's just kind of a lot of strokes and colors and that sort of thing. But when you come back and you take a, a large picture of it, you can see something beautiful. And we showed how Monet had that beautiful poplar trees and that great uh, picture that once you've zoomed out on it. And so that's what we're kind of doing with the book of Revelation. We're zooming out and taking a 30,000-foot approach. And, so, uh, uh, and, I, and, and I love it because each week we're seeing in it, what we want to see in it is the victory of Christ. And we we, we said it was kind of like taking a, bu- a, po- a puzzle box and looking at the top of the, bu- of the puzzle because if you're like me, I'm kind of challenged when it comes to games and puzzles and that sort of thing. I usually lose patience and want to just quit. So if I build a puzzle, I need it to be not many pieces and I also need to take a look at the top of the box so that I can see what the thing's supposed to look like so that I can maybe have a chance at putting the puzzle together. And that's kind of what we're doing. I know when I got saved and came into the uh, kingdom of God that I began to read the Word of God, and one thing that helped me was getting to back out and to get a view of the Scriptures. It amazed me when I began to get an overall picture of the book of Ephesians or an overall picture of the book of the Gospels, because then I could back up and I could say, wait a minute, okay, John wrote this, that's not John the Baptist, that's this John, and this happened, and this, and it began, It was written here, and it was written to these, and it meant this, and it just helped to get an overall view of, of the book, so that then when I went back and filled in the details, it really made sense and it started coming together. And that's, so that's what we kind of want to look at here with this. And in every bit of it, we want to see that Jesus Christ, the victory of Jesus. Because I think all through the book of Revelation, we often don't want to go there because we think it's all about, which we're going to talk about today, wrath and destruction and all of those things. But in reality, if, if you take back a, a grander picture, you begin to see that, man, it's the beauty of Christ. Christ wins. Christ wins all through the pages of of the book of Revelation. He wins every step of the way and he is in control and he is pulling. We, we talked about he supersedes man. He supersedes the schemes of the devil. Even though they think they're marching towards something, an end that they think they're going to win or they're going to have a certain outcome, God lets them do their thing and God uh, has in- antinomy. He's above antinomy. He, he just absolutely will supersede everything and he wins in the very end. He absolutely has been in control. He is sovereign and he is awesome. And so today we're going to look at the seven bowls of judgment. We're going to look at the seven bowls. We've looked at seven seals. We've looked at seven trumpets. We saw uh, that when when the seven seals in chapter 5 and 6 were peeled back, they were looking in heaven for one worthy to unloose the seals. And when they found one worthy, he unloosed the seals. And we saw those judgments that began to happen. And we saw that at the end of those seven seals came seven trumpets. And then we saw at the end of those seven trumpets came seven now bowls of judgment, which we're going to find out is the final wrath of God. We see that God has this uh, calculated, planned out, 
succinct. I mean, he is in control. He's not out of control. He's not just like me when I get mad, like go off the handle and I lose control and I say things or do something I shouldn't do. God is perfectly in control. And he's got this thing, this end time plan, and it's absolutely just coming out in the first wave. When you see in those first seals, he's got like a fourth of humanity that's being affected. And then it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. We see in the second with the trumpets start blasting and these angels come out with the trumpets that all of a sudden now a third of mankind is being, he's ramping it up. And now we're going to see today that all, all is being affected. He's just, when he comes, when this final wrath that's going to take care of everything, that all things begin to be affected. And we see his full anger, his fear, full fury, his full wrath being poured out on the earth. And uh, it, it's absolutely amazing. Last week we learned uh, about a beast. We, we, we saw that a beast is trying uh, 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 to, to destroy God's people. We, we got introduced to a beast. We got introduced to a dragon that's behind the beast. We got introduced to a false prophet. Uh, next week, we're going to get introduced to a prostitute, something we always love to talk about in church, a prostitute. And we're going to see a pimp kind of behind the scenes of this prostitute. So if you ever wanted to talk about that in church, come next week because you're going to see something. We're going to see this prostitute that is actually alluring you, alluring people more than you think into the world system. And you're going to see how God finally deals with the one who's been, who's been alluring the whole world and trying to bring her under the control of the beast and under the control of Satan. And we saw last week that, that the, uh, this system, this beast that was rising, that this system represents all evil. And there's really two paths that can be taken. One is that, that humanity can either follow the way of the beast or humanity can follow... And if you follow the way of the beast, Raymond, then you're going to wind up in destruction. You're going to wind up in death. You're going to wind up uh, uh, perishing. But if you follow the way of Jesus, you're going to find out that it leads to life and it leads to eternal life. And so we want to follow, obviously, Jesus' path. And so Satan it, it attacks, we saw last week, how he attacks. He insults us. He, he, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We saw that he attacks Israel. We saw that God has a plan for Israel. God's not forsaken. Israel. I know we're taking a big view, and I keep mentioning 144,000, and I know some of you probably going crazy because I'm, I'm mentioning things kind of vaguely and above, but I know those are 144,000 literal Jews. I know those are out of each tribe. Trust me, we're just taking a big view and trying to understand what's going on. I know that the Israel runs to Petra or somewhere and flees from, from this and is, is protected for a time, but again, we backed up. We looked at how he's after not only them, but he's after the church. He's after all blood bought people of God. He, he is coming out in, with a vengeance. So he's, he's attacking Israel. He's attacked the Messiah through the years. And he is attacking the church. And we know that because we heard people saying we need encouragement. We need, we're being attacked in this last hour. We're singing songs because we want to be in church, encouraged. We're meeting together because we want to be encouraged. And what we keep seeing the theme over and over, Nana, in this book is that, that John keeps writing to us and he keeps saying, I want you as the people of God to stand firm. Stand firm. Endure. Keep endure with patient endurance. Endure. Keep going. Keep trusting. Keep moving. Stand firm. And those who stand firm all the way till the end, the Bible says, will be saved. He says this path we're going on is going to lead us around the throne where we saw last week it finally leads around the throne and they're singing the song of Moses. They're singing a new song. They're there singing the, the wonderful praise 
praises of God, even though they've suffered, even though they've, some have been martyred and gone through some horrific things like we talked about. We talked about a beast system that had arisen uh, years ago with Hitler, and we talked about how uh, Bonhoeffer and how uh, Karl Marx and others stood against that beast system and how they paid with their lives, many of them, but they stood. And I believe they're going to be singing there around that throne as well, a song of the redeemed, a song that he didn't forsake us. He didn't, he didn't. We endured, and because we endured, we have the victory that he promised us in Jesus Christ. And so I want you to keep looking at the victory in the midst of COVID, in the midst of, of the next thing that's coming, in the midst of all that we're facing. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on the victory of Christ. Amen? So today we're going to look at the wrath of God. And so hold on, buckle up, go to Revelation 15, and let's look at this real quick. And it says, after this, I looked. And in the sanctuary of the tent of the witness in heaven was open. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chest. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels, the Bible said, were finished. Now, you remember, we looked earlier in, these, in this series about the seven seals, and we looked in chapter five and chapter six and we thought saw how when these seals were opened that a fourth of the earth began to be affected all sorts of things and then we talked about when the last one was uncovered then we began to see these seven trumpets and they began to blow and more destruction began to come and we saw how at, the, at those a third of the earth was beginning to be affected and the third of people were dying and that sort of thing was going on and now under the seven trumpets we have these seven bowls that are going to come and we see that it's going to affect all the earth, or, or, or it's going to affect all of the seas, all the rivers, all the lands. And so let's talk about the wrath of God today. The wrath of God, even though we don't like to talk about it and we like to skirt around this, it is an essential part of God's character. Just like the love of God is an essential part of God's character, God is love. Carlin, God is mercy. God is sovereign. God is just. God is faithful. God is true. God is great. God is good. Let, let us thank Him for our food, you know. All those things, but, but he's also wrath. He is wrath. He is a God of wrath, just as he is those other things. You cannot exclude this from his character. And so we want to know that, and we want to look at that, and it's an essential part of his character. Well, what is wrath like? What is the wrath of God exactly like? Well, we know this. We know, number one, that, it, that, that it's, it, it's a central part of his character. We know that God is not ticked off. We know that he's not just screaming and yelling. He's not just losing control. We know he's not just screaming at, the dog, uh, at his wife, kicking the dog, and punching a hole in the wall. We know that God, in his wrath, is absolutely it's controlled. It's not an uncontrolled anger. He is controlled completely in everything that he is doing here. It, it's measured. He's measured it out. We saw how it's rising in increments. So it's, it's controlled. It's measured out perfectly. He's meeting it out as he sees fit, as it's supposed to do. He's just. He's faithful. He's true. He's given people exactly what they deserve. This is what should happen and what should be meted out. God's wrath is... is 
it, it's perfect, he, 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 the Bible says. And look what it says in Revelation 15.1. It says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. What he's saying, the wrath of God is going to be finished here, not eternally, because we know there's a lake of fire that will go on eternally, right? But right here he says, on earth, this is the end of the wrath of God that we're about to see on earth. And he's uh, irrational people that get angry don't have an end to their wrath. It just continues and continues and continues. But the beautiful part about God is God has this thing measured out. He has it controlled. He is not irrational and he's saying right here there's coming an end to it there's going to come an end to my wrath and, and, and at a certain particular uh, particular time now this is written John writes all this he writes it to explain to us what God's wrath is exactly like what it, what it's like how it's going to unfold in the end times and he says again the wrath of God is right it's right it's holy it, it, it's just and 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 so he 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 says that he he, he puts in some he, he fits in some tucks in some phrases here look what he says right here on the next slide where he tucks in certain phrases the next one he he goes and he tells us he says just and true are your ways my my wrath is just it's true uh, for you alone are holy your thought for your your righteous acts have been revealed this is a righteous act this is not something that is, uh, he, he's righteous in what he's doing. He's just and true. Just and true, oh holy one who is and was, for you brought these judgments. You, you're good in this, God. You're, 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 you're faithful in this. Yes, Lord God, the Almighty. True and just are your judgments. So John constantly tucks in these phrases to tell us that God has, these are righteous acts. These are, these are good things that God is doing and He is faithful and He is just. In fact, if you go back to Revelation 6 and verse 10, if you remember, they cried out under the altar and they began to ask this question, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before will you will avenge our blood of those who dwell on the answer? And right here is the answer. Right here, finally. He said, hold on a little bit longer but right now he's finally coming down to answer that question and he's saying now now it's coming to pass you wanted to know how long here it comes here it comes it, it's coming I'm about to avenge your deaths I'm about to come through and I'm going to be uh, just in what I'm and fair and I'm going to come down and I'm going to bring my wrath down on uh, the ones who have martyred you and, and I'm going to there's going to be justice in the earth and so here is the answer for those who are crying out. He's saying the final payment of sin, the final payment for sinful people, and those who refuse to repent is finally here, Joe. That's what he's saying in these, in these chapters. That's where he's headed to. And so these seven bowls is God's final defeat. Final defeat over the rebellion of people and over the rebellion of demons. Isn't that awesome? It's the final, final defeat of the rebellious people on the earth who refuse to bow their knee to Christ. Those who refuse 
refuse. They, they continue to follow after Satan. They continue to follow the way of the beast. They continue to follow the false prophet. They continue to allow this prostitute to pull them in under her allure and to draw them in. And God is saying, finally, I'm about to deal with sin. I'm about to deal with sinful people. I'm about to deal with those who refuse to pr- uh, repent. And that's what these seven bowls are going to deal with that. It's going to deal with Satan. It's going to deal with the false prophet. going to deal with the dragon. going to deal with the prostitute. It's going to deal with all evil that we all hate right now and wish something would be done about it all. Well, God says it's coming and I'm going to do something about it. And here it finally is. Now, here's the deal. I don't believe the wrath of God is for believers. I, I, I genuinely uh, believe that you can find enough in Scripture. The Bible tells us in Hebrews uh, chapter 12 that it talks about the discipline of God, how God takes those that are His own and not a rather than bringing His wrath down upon us because we bowed our knee to Him, that when we get out of line, He disciplines us just like a father would discipline his child. He would discipline us and take us. And we've all been disciplined by God, right? We've all gone through the discipline. We've all gone through God dealing with us about certain things. And if we live long enough, we're going to continue. And that's a sign that He loves us. It's a sign that He cares about us. It's a sign that He wants us to be transformed and changed and redeemed. We know that Romans 8 also tells us that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, the Bible tells us. And that's good. Aren't you glad the day that you recognize that God would no longer hold your sins against you, that as far as the east is from the west, that He has removed those things and we can be forgiven and offered mercy and grace and forgiveness. And so so we realize that. I don't believe that gets part out on us. But here's the thing that I want us to look at today. The principle of what I want us to look at is no matter what we go through, no matter what kind of persecution, no matter what we have to endure on the face of the earth, God is telling us, and John is writing here, that no matter what we face, no matter how bad Monday is tomorrow or Tuesday is, that we are to stand firm. And we are to stand firm in the victory of Jesus Christ. We are to trust the end and look at Christ and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and whatever we have to go through, no matter what, Jesus will give us the strength that we need to get through everything. Amen? And so the question is, is our faith strong enough in our relationship with God to endure all things? Because true saving faith, I believe, will endure whatever. It's going to continue on till the end. True saving faith will take us through till the end. Is our faith, so the question is, is our faith strong enough to endure the dark valleys that we're headed through? There's a lot of people not in the body of Christ today. I've got people who told me to my face, I'm done with God. After COVID, something's flipped in our in, our, in us and, and, and in the psychology of our nation and the and the world. Something changed. And I mean, there are people that exited churches in droves. Not only exited churches, it would be one thing to exit churches, but they exited the kingdom of God. They decided, I don't want this Christianity anymore. It doesn't work, so to say, or whatever their, their thinking came to. They came to a place where their faith proved to not be genuine saving faith, and they decided, I want to exit out of this thing. I'm not going to endure. These sayings are too hard. What he's asking me to do and endure, I just don't have the stamina. Or the, or, the, or the willingness or whatever to continue to go on to the end. And John is writing here and saying, if you're a follower of Jesus, endure to the end because if you don't endure to the end, you're going to follow the beast in his system and it's going to end in destruction and rebellion. Amen? Amen. 
I mean, we know that. Look, there was a guy that was, uh, there, there was a, guy that was uh, a, a pastor, and I heard him telling a story about watching a, 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 a program where they were talking about, uh, it was one of those cop shows, and he said all of a sudden in this show that there was a Muslim man, and the Muslim man had, was blowing up his own mosque. For some reason, he was bombing the mosque, and they caught this guy. And, and here's the words that this guy said in this. When he had finally got caught, he said, Allah has not come through for me. He said, I lost my job. I lost everything. And he said, I don't believe in him anymore. And the preacher thought while he was watching this episode, he thought this is so often what happens to believers in Jesus Christ. They put their faith and trust in something. And then all of a sudden when they lose their job, when, a, when, when the cancer report hits, when something happens that they don't like or they didn't see coming, all of a sudden it's too hard, too difficult. They can't understand why God would allow such things and they begin to do what that Muslim man did and they say, I don't don't want this anymore. Amen? Amen? And that's exactly what John is warning about in these these chapters. He's saying, don't turn your, your back on him. Endure. Keep going. Keep going. God's hard times are for our good. That's what he's trying to write and say. All things work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to his purposes. So here's what God's wrath looks like. If you want to know what God's wrath and his final wrath, that perfect wrath that comes down on mankind, if you want to see what it looks like, here's what it looks like. The first bowl. Go to it and let's look. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon on the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. So the first, the first bowl comes, the angel comes with this first bowl and begins to pour it out. And if you notice, if you'll notice all of these, and especially this one again, it has the connection with Egypt and the plagues that were going on in Egypt. I mean, it looks just like those plagues that we've seen before poured back in that day and back in that time. And if you look there, you see that connection that's going on because this first bowl is poured out and all of a sudden these painful sores began to appear on everyone who has swore allegiance to the beast and the beast system. Now in Zechariah 14, we get a picture of this as well. Look at what Zechariah 14 and 12 says. And this shall be the plague. I mean, if you want to talk about the horror of God's wrath and the horror of these that follow the beast and what's poured out upon them, look at what happens, it says. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all people that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are standing on their feet and their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. Folks, that is wrath right there. That is absolute horror. That is, uh, that is absolutely uh, pure wrath of God. Look at the second plague that is poured out in Revelation 16.3. Looking at what this wrath looks like. The sea is beginning to be turned into blood. Remember what we said about the Exodus? You remember the sea turning in blood in those days? Look at what he said. The second angel pours out his bowl into the sea and it became like the blood of a corpse and every living thing died that was in the sea. The sea is turned to blood. The maritime industry is killed. You know how many 50... I looked it up in Google. You know how many ships are out in the sea right now? 
50,000 chips at least or more are out in the seas right now. And hardly 90% of the world trade goes by sea. Can you imagine what is going to happen to your goods and services? Can you imagine when this is poured out, what happens uh, to your hair jail, Jacob? Can you? I'm just kidding. Can you, you just got good hair. Can you imagine what begins to happen to those things? Can you imagine what begins to happen to the food supply as we see how volatile and how just how easily it can be affected can you imagine what happens to the automobile industry can you imagine what happens to all these goods and services that are supposed to be moving on the sea as God pours out these bowls of wrath upon the sea everything that he has created what he's doing folks is he's saying I created all these things for your good but you don't want them you want to worship them rather than me then I'll take them away And one by one, the things that He created in Genesis. Let there be sun. Let there be moon to govern. Let there be this. Let there be that. And let there be waters that you can drink from. Let there be oceans teeming with life. He's saying, "All right, you want to treat it that way? You want to worship it like on every TV show that makes me sick today? The universe. The universe. We want to worship the universe. Oh, the universe. The universe. The universe. The universe. You better be nice to the universe, right? Those aren't by chance. The yoga, the transcendental meditation, the the, the universe, exchanging the creation, worshiping the creation rather than the creator, bypassing God like the universe can do anything, like Mother Nature can do anything. You better find Father God. Amen? Amen? Because here's what He can do to the earth. He had 50,000 merchant ships today and 90% of the world trade by ship. Without shipping, there's no food, there's no goods. It's all affected. And the Bible says he destroys everything in the ocean, including the shipping. The second trumpet destroyed one-third of the sea. The bowls destroy it all. Final wrath. Final wrath, but the end to my wrath. And and it's not irrational. It's in stages. It's incremental. It is growing. And and, and all along the way, this loving God who has way more love and patience and long-suffering than I could ever have in my little finger keeps trying to say, repent, 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 turn. I'm trying to get your attention. Wake up, planet Earth. I want you. I desire that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. Even having angels flying through the heavens with the everlasting gospel saying, repent, repent, repent before the wrath comes on the earth. And men continue to harden their hearts and they continue to shake their fist at God and do not repent. And then look at what he says in verse 7. And I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. In other words, they refuse to bow their knee to Jesus. But the judgments are true And they're just. Look at the fourth bowl. It's drinking water has been turned to blood. You think it was bad when the sea and your little goodies got messed up. Right here, look at what he says now I'm going to touch. I'm going to touch the drinking water. You ever tried to live without drinking water? It's quite impossible to do. But here's what God says when this fourth angel pours out his bowl. The Bible says that he begins to affect this. Or or excuse me, first is the sun uh, darkened. Uh, the, the, The above was the third bowl. Let me read it. I think I jumped ahead. 
The third is the drinking water. It says the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs and the water and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters. Just are you, holy uh, one, who is and was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and you have given them the blood to drink. It is what they deserve. It's what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. In other words, these judgments are just. They are fair. They are deserved because people have shed the blood of God's saints. And he's saying, you want blood? I'll make you drink their blood. I'll make you drink the blood. And so he turns the water, the very waters that we need to live by, into blood. And they still refuse to bow. Now the fourth bowl. He sun, the sun begins to be dark. And look at what he says in Revelation 16. You remember this in, in the Exodus. You remember that they, they had to live there in a place with the sun darkened. And he said, keep yourself ready. Keep yourself girded. Keep, keep trusting me. Keep living for me. Uh, even in darkness. Even with plagues. I know they were in Goshen and they were protected and all sorts of things. But they were to be ready. They were to, uh, they were to uh, have themselves ready. They were to get ready. They were to be ready to move out when God brought the final plague and they were to move out and here we have again the sun being darkened the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch the people with fire they were scorched by the fierce heat they cursed the name of God and had power over the, the one who had power over these plagues they knew he had power over them they know who they're dealing with they know it's God they know he has power to stop these plagues and yet they're so stubborn they still refuse to bow their knee just like some of us in this room God has knocked on the door of your heart so many times but there is a pride and an arrogancy in your heart that still causes you not to bow your knee and repent of your sins and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and they hold out and they were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues and they did not repent or give glory to God. In other words, God turns the thermostat up. He turns the heat up, folks. This will be the end of global warming and all that foolishness. He turns the heat up and the thermometer up. I got news for you. God controls things. God controls things. God controls the weather. God controls the weather power. I'd like for you to think you're, you're big enough that you think that we do, but I've got news for you. God controls that. God controls how much and how little, and He can do whatever He wants to do when he wants to do and right here he turns the heat up and the sun gets so unbearable you so you've got the water supply is dealt with and turned into blood you've got people scorched by burning heat and now he is he's literally turned the the thermostat up they're scorched and it's absolutely what i said a few minutes ago he's taken everything that he has created for us for our good that we are to enjoy that we are to give him thanks for and he is slowly one by one Genesis 1, taking those things away, the sun, the water, the sea creatures, because people have worshipped the creation rather than the creator, like like Romans 1 says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore 
or amen. In other words, if you won't worship me who gave you these things, then I'll take these things away from you. And it's still because he loves us, folks. He's saying, I can give you a job and I can take it away. I can give you health and I can take it away. I can give you children and I can take them away. Job, you remember Job? And when we're to endure, we're to press on no matter what. If something is taken away tomorrow, we're still to press on in God and to trust Him and be like Job when everything was taken away from him. He said, blessed be your name, God. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. He lost it all, but he trusted in God to the very end. And that That's exactly what we've got to do as well. We've got to trust in God to know that He is good. And that's the idea of being a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. A genuine follower all the way to the end. Listen to what Colossians 1.22 tells us about genuine followers. Here's what he says in there. It says, He is now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in Him if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister of. The, the, we're seeing these people, and he's saying, he's saying will, will you be saved, and will you continue in the faith? Because as you continue to go on, and as you are tested, as you are put to the test, as these people are put to the test on the face of the earth we're going to see as they are tested at the very end we're going to find out who are followers of Jesus and who are followers of the beast it's going to be very apparent it's going to be very clear and they are we're seeing here these they're not genuine followers of Jesus Christ because they refused Jesus they didn't endure to the end their faith didn't prove to be true saving faith and the Bible says that at a certain point it got too difficult it got too hard something was taken away something happened and they said I'm done and they begin to walk with the beast system and they end up taking the mark of the beast here and now they're facing this wrath of God that's being poured out we don't want that to happen we want to be true followers of Jesus Christ amen genuine followers who endure to the very end look at the fifth bowl of wrath what does the wrath of God look like the fifth bowl looks like this the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plagued into darkness people gnawed their tongues in anguish and curse the God of heaven for their pain and sores. And again, keep looking at this. They did not repent of their deeds. They refused to repent. Sores are happening. Scorching uh, heat. Outer darkness so that nobody can take care of them. It hurts so bad they're gnawing their tongues in agony. All of a sudden the Bible says, and still they are here looking and it's all moving towards the lake of fire. And they still refuse to uh, repent of their sins. Look at the sixth bowl. Revelation 16, 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And the water was was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go uh, abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God Almighty. And they assembled them at the place in Hebrew called Armageddon. I skipped verse 15 and I skipped 
skipped it on purpose. We're going to come back to it because it's something that's set there that I believe has a very specific reason that it's set there. And it's odd that he put it in there. And so we're going to skip it for a moment. But when this sixth bowl is poured out, the Bible says that these demons come like frogs, these slimy, slippery frogs. And they come, the Bible says, and they begin to draw the nations of the world together for Armageddon. The, the river Euphrates dries up, the Bible tells us, and all of a sudden it makes way for these kings of the east. Now we can debate that all day long. You can go read a hundred thousand different reasons. Maybe it's China. That's a lot of the common things. But, but it's a big army that's coming as this is dried up across against Israel. And we see that. The kings of the east. Go to Israel if you want to see it. Look east and see what you think. But it dries up and they come across there, the kings of the east, to, to destroy the nation of Israel for this last great battle. So we see all of these things that are taking place. All these things that are progressing. And then we get to the seventh bowl. And listen to what it says. And the seventh angel poured out the bowl into the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, Does this remind you of something on the cross? You remember the first time? It is finished. What was finished? A way of grace made for you, right? A way of grace was made for you and I to come into the family of God, into the kingdom of God. I made a way for the new covenant, for salvation to come to the whole world. You dirty dog Gentiles can come into the faith too, just like I want to bring Israel into the faith. I want to graft you in and bring you into the faith as well. I want my whole family together, and I made a way to bring salvation to the earth. It is finished, and now all of a sudden, now he's saying here after the seventh bowl is poured out, the wrath of God is finished. It's done. It's done. Come on, folks. That ought to excite you. It's done. The end of this thing, man. The end of all this horror, hell, this horror that's come on the face of the earth. This rebellion of mankind against God. This sin, this death, this destruction. All these horrible wars and famines and Hitlers and all these things. I'm dealing with it. The justice of God. We're going to meet it out. And we're going to deal with it once and for all. It is done. And there were flashes and lightnings and rumblings and peals of thunder and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was the earthquake that it will reshape the landscape of the world. The great city split into three parts. Some say that's Babylon. Some say it's Jerusalem. Others say Rome. It's the seat of the beast. It's his power. He starts somewhere. He moves it somewhere. And all of a sudden, but we know God is saying, hey, beast system, you're done. And he begins to pour out his wrath upon them and its destruction of that beast power and the cities of the nations fell I think that simply means absolute destruction of all the world's cultural political, economic sociological centers and God remembered Babylon the great uh, and it should strike terror in our hearts to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath in other words God's wrath is poured out on all these centers of humanity, godlessness and pagan worship and it says and every island fled away and no mountains were found and the great hailstones about 100 pounds each fell from heaven on people folks you can run and hide but the, your roof can't hold a 100 pound hailstone you can get anywhere you want but 100 pound hailstones God st stoning the blasphemers so to say on the face of the earth he, he, will, he will find you and he'll have a prostitute tied to one like a millstone being cast down into the sea 
If you destroy one of my little ones, I'll cast you into the sea. And we see all this in that he's bringing everything to the end. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on the people. And they cursed God. Can you not cry uncle yet? And they cursed God for the plague of the hell because the plagues were so severe. The entire shape of the earth is rearranged. Mountains are flattened. Islands are removed. Hundred pound hailstones are being poured out. God's just and measured wrath poured out on humanity. On Satan. On demons. Poured out perfectly, succinctly, just as it should be. And bringing a final end to the wrath of God that needs to be poured out on planet earth. And this is the last and final outpouring of God's just and measured wrath on those on the earth who refuse to repent and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Savior. Now next week, it's kind of like last week, it's going to be cool because it talks about this prostitute because there's this interlude in chapter 17 and 18 where we go back and kind of see something that's been going on all along through this battle and through all of this, that there's this prostitute that is there and she is alluring the world and the beast is riding her and she's drawing the world in to her delicacies and we're going to see God find Finally bring destruction to her. But you say, man, this has been heavy, Brad. Every week you, you, you're telling us about all this death and destruction and humankind not repenting. Can't you bring us up? Can't you tell us something good? Well, I'm going to leave you with something good. And it's found in chapter 19 of Revelation. And that's where we come to because when you skip ahead from chapter 17 and chapter 19, you, if you press through and continue to trust God and continue to keep the faith of God and Continue to keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. If even when the hard times come and another pandemic and another this and war and all these things and a tyrannical dictator comes on the earth, all these things, if you continue to endure, no matter what Washington's doing or Moscow's doing or the UN's doing or anybody's doing or the CDC or whoever's doing it, if you continue to press on the end, you will, you will get through to the victory of Jesus. And here's what he saw. He said, and then I saw heaven opened and this is after this is in the midst of the seven bowls of the wrath 100 pound hailstones have come huge armies have come about to crush Israel and behold a white horse and the one sitting on him is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war and his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but he himself and he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God and the armies of heaven I don't know about you but I think I'm right there with him riding I mean I think I'm gonna look pretty cool riding one of those horses amen I'm not a great horse rider I know Lisa and Steve right there have horses I'm pretty green when it comes to horses but somehow I think I'm gonna look over and I'm gonna be pretty cool riding one of those white horses that day God's gonna somehow supernaturally give me a way to ride those things and it's gonna be awesome and they come with the armies of heaven arrayed 
made in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. That's us, followers of Jesus. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God of the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh was a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. If you will look at this, folks, if you will fix your eyes on this, if you'll quit worrying about vaccines, no vaccines, masks, no masks, get my COVID test, oh my gosh, contact trace, no contact trace. If you will quit worrying about all this stupid stuff and you will look ahead and you will see that everything in life is worth it. All the grief that you've gone through, all the heartache that you've gone through, all the disappointments that you've gone through, all the mountaintops and all the valley tops, valley experiences, they're all going to be worthwhile because we see right here, this is Jesus' day. This is Jesus' day. This is victory day. And you and I stand there with Him in victory. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So whatever goes wrong tomorrow, we persevere. Whatever goes wrong the next day, we persevere. We keep going. We keep going. And here's the key to the entire chapter, the verse I skipped. He puts this right at the fourth bowl. I mean, right where he's going to pour it out on the beast and all that. Why does, why does he start? Look, even the ESV takes and puts it in parentheses. Because Jesus has inserted right in the middle of that something for you and me. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. What is he saying? He's saying, basically he's saying this, we had better be ready. Because all through the New Testament, Jesus says, I'm coming like a thief in the night. And you don't know when I'm coming. I am coming, and so you better be ready because I'm coming unexpected. I'm coming unannounced, and I am coming sudden. I am coming. I am coming. And here's what he says. Do not get sloppy. Do not get to a place where you think you can fall back and start sinning. Do not get lax in Zion. Do not get at ease in Zion. Do not turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Don't play around with the grace and mercy of God. You better stay the course. You better know that I am coming like a thief in the night. You better stay dressed so that you're not spiritually naked when you get snatched up before the throne and before the judgment seat. You stay ready just like they stayed ready in the Exodus. You stay girded up for battle. You stay having your loins girded. You stay with a sword in hand if you have to. You stay with your dress clothes on and you be ready to exit this world at any moment at any time. Amen? Or, 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 and hear me well, you'll be exposed as a follower of the beast and not a follower of Christ. If you want to know what I think really has happened in COVID, it's just exposed a lot of false followers of Jesus Christ. We had a lot of game players in the church in America. We had a lot of people who loved health, wealth, prosperity, and all kind of false gospels. 
All kind of people that pray to prayer and thinks they're saved. And, and well, mama was saved and daddy was saved. And I went to church and my name is on the roll. And I believe we, 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 we're seeing now. We're seeing it come to a day. And I think it's going to get even worse. where We're going to see more persecution like never before. And it's going to show us who it really endures and the followers to the end. And so don't get sloppy and don't get exposed as not being a follower of Jesus Christ or being a follower of the beast. So in closing, how? How are we supposed to live then? Well, Peter tells us how we're supposed to live. In light of these things, what are we to do? How are we supposed to keep going in tough times and what we're facing? He says this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Again, there's that word thief. It's all through the word of God in the New Testament. Jesus is coming when we least expect it. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Everything you ever work for. And it's just wood, hay, and stubble. It's going to burn like crazy. It will be dissolved. That house you worked for all your life, that 401k, all those wonderful things that we enjoyed, and that's fine. Enjoy them, but hold them loosely because they're going to burn. And the earth and the work, this church will burn, this ministry, everything, and all the works that are done on it will be exposed since all these things are thus to be dissolved. What sort of people ought we to be in the lives of holiness and God? Godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt away. He says, Peter says, in light of these seven bowls of wrath that are coming, Jesus is coming like a thief. How should we live holy, godly, looking forward to his day, ruthlessly resisting and turning away uh, from the Antichrist system, from the world, turning to Jesus, regardless of what Satan throws at, at us, keeping our eyes, like Hebrews says, fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Hallelujah. So basically the goal of this study that we said from the beginning, that 30,000 book view, is to see the victory of Jesus. And can't you see it? Amen. Can't you see it? He has a fire in his eyes. He has a sword in his hand. And he's leading the armies all across the land. I mean, he's calling out to us. And so if you don't know Jesus today as Lord and Savior, make him the Lord of your life. If you've been playing games, make Jesus the Lord of your life. You need him. You're going to need him to survive the days in which we are living. You're going to need each other to survive the days in which we're living. I mean, each week I'm having these highs, and then I'll go down into a low. And about the time I go down into a low, some Somebody in the body of Christ calls me, and then we talk. And about the time we talk and I preach to each other for a few minutes, I'm lifted back up into a happy place, into a joyful place where I can see the victory of Jesus again. And so you need to be doing that. If there ever was a time of ministry now, it's that. Start, begin to have body ministry. Begin to encourage one another. Begin to be there for one another. It's not going to look like it's always looked. It's not going to look like in the church and the way it's always been, but there's plenty of opportunity opportunity out there. Sing, sing, sing to somebody. Share a song. About half the time I'm down in the week, I get somebody from all the singers. Raymond's wanting to sing, but but don't let him. But all the time that we get to the songs uh, of singing uh, or thinking about singing, some of the singers send me something. If it's not the word, people sending me something. We need the word and we need the songs and we need the spirit. We need it all. And somebody will send me a song off of YouTube. And all of a sudden I'll think, man, here's another song. And then I listen to 
that song, and man, it rises me up into heavenly places. Right? Hallelujah.